Five scores! Rick Bob. We decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Bob. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 58 of the Squid and Ultimate Elite Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Elite Fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? How's those uh, peepers of yours doing? They look a little red. Uh, I'm doing okay, except I got a little uh, sunscreen in my eyes today playing golf, so uh, they got a little red and a little bit sore, so uh, I'm, fine. I'm I'm working it out here. I'm, I'm It's coming along. Well, you're used to battling through injuries, so here we go. Like you're, you're just keeping right in script with what you've done your whole career. So good on you, my man. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, today our guest is another product of Scarborough, Ontario, my old hometown. Another good old Scarborough lad uh, played on a very talented Seneca Natch Junior B team that featured a very young Wayne Gretzky. Our guest was the MVP of that hockey club as a defenseman. Uh, put up some pretty big numbers. A terrific junior career with Peterborough Peets, competing in three Memorial Cups in a row, winning in 79, drafted 49th overall by the Chicago Blackhawks in 79, enjoyed a 13-year pro career, dabbled in media in the 1980s with Hartford while he was playing for the Hartford Whalers, and today is part of the Chicago Wolves broadcast team. Welcome to the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show, Billy Gardner. Guards, how are we keeping? How have you been keeping up with that golf game with uh, everything going on? <laughs> Uh, not as much as Squid. I know that. I know he plays a lot. No, but and if my eyes are red, it's not because of sunscreen. <laughs> That's uh, spoken like a true Scarborough lad. No kidding. I'm a Scotsman. Uh, but uh, no, I, I'm I'm playing twice a week, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday, and uh, uh, really enjoy. It. I actually, I mean, I'm not here to brag, but I had my best round ever. Uh, maybe two weeks ago, I had a. Eagle and four birdies and shot 67. What course? Uh, Carillon. And I'm actually playing there tomorrow. So, yeah. Ooh, squid. Uh, oh, is that, is, that a mini, is that a mini putt? <laughs> it, probably, it was only nine holes, but come on. It was only nine. <laughs> no, it, was a, it was so unique. It was one of those situations where, you know, when you maybe have a couple of birdies early, you think, God, this might be the best run I'm ever going to have. And then you get ahead of yourself and you screw up somewhere. I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to put that negative thought in my head. I'm just going to go out and keep hitting it like I am, and I was able to do that. In fact, one of the holes that I eagled was from the fairway. It was a, a wedge into the green, and we couldn't see the hole. Uh, when I got to the green, I thought, geez, I thought I had a good shot. And I thought, maybe it's in, and if it is, here I go. I'm on a nice roll. So, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Well, there's well that, a, that is pretty cool. That's a pretty good shot right there, man. Oh, man. So – I, I want to get back to, uh, I mean, this pandemic has obviously created a lot of challenges for you in your prof other professional career. Maybe you're going to be a professional golfer after all of this. Uh, how did you find last year working in the itch? I know you're doing a lot of it from home, right. but how did you get through all of that? Well, home games, in fact, uh, as you know, Mike, uh, yeah. I had it for about three and a half weeks right, or, right before Christmas. Uh, and I went to the hospital, and I wasn't in good shape. And I actually, yeah. actually thought I was in trouble. Uh, I, my sister-in-law came over; she's a nurse, and uh, she took my, my oxygen, and it was below eighty-five. And 
that's a criteria that you don't want to have. Uh, you're supposed to be 95 to 100. But anyway, she said, you know, we should go to the hospital. And I said, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that. I was afraid. Yeah. Uh, she said, well, if tomorrow it's the same, you got to go. And it was actually below the 85. So I went, just spent the day, was on oxygen. They did all the tests, uh, x-rays, all that stuff. And uh, they said to me, they thought I was over it because I had taken almost two weeks before I went in. <laughs> so I was dying. Oh, boy. Oh, there, man. Doing nothing and dizzy as heck, hurting, everything you could think of. Uh, and then I went in and they thought I was over the hump. So anyway, uh, yeah, so that was tough. So in the meantime, in the American Hockey League, they were discussing playing, uh, and it actually started February 4th. So in mid-January, they were talking about scheduling and stuff like that. And I said, well, why don't the home teams just do the broadcasts? And that way you don't have to intermingle and there's no problems with travel. And, and they thought it was a good idea, but none of the guys who do play-by-play -play wanted to do that. They wanted to do all the games. So I said to my you know, team, uh, I said, you know, I'd rather not after what I went through. And they said, fine, just do the home games. So I only did the home games. So uh, that was okay. There Obviously, there was nobody there. There were some scouts, but, uh, you know, it was just empty building. And we were playing in a, a practice facility with really no stands. And uh, it was certainly a, a different atmosphere altogether. And, you know, the, the NHL played for the Stanley Cup. The American hockey played for nothing. You know, they gave penance at the end of the year for finishing first and so on. But the, to me, that was just a gimmick. Uh, it was good for the kids to play. That was much needed. But there was nothing to play for. So motivation was tough. But uh, they did a heck of a job. I mean, we had a really good team. Well, Rick, you're, Justin's team, uh, they played uh, the ECHL guys. They played for the Cup. They cut the schedule sure. down and cut the teams down. But, uh, Rick, you know, you got a champion sitting in your house. He's waiting yeah. to go and party, actually, later in the week. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, he's uh... – well, they started in February. Cincinnati didn't go in where he normally plays. And yes. so Fort Wayne called right away, Ben Boudreaux, and said, would you like to come and play in Fort Wayne? He said, well, yeah, sure. I, I mean, he wanted to play, and he didn't want to sit out for 16, 17 months oh. and then try to play again next year. So he went there, and lo and behold, they ended up winning the championship, the Kelly Cup. And uh, they had a good week of partying, and then it was birthday was – at the end of that week, so then that was that added another three days onto the party time. Sure. And uh, so now he's home. Thursday he's going to head down to Cincinnati. They're going to fly. They're flying to I don't know Cancun, Mexico, or somewhere. A bunch of them that are on the team, and they're going to have another week of partying. So good for him. Nice to be young. Uh, oh yeah, nice to be thirty-two and be able to go out and do that again. <laughs> Well, I mean, while we're speaking of young, let's go back. And this is a question yeah. for both of us. And, you know, and I mean, we all can probably chip in on this one. But, uh, guards, I want to start off with you. To life as a kid playing street hockey, skating at all the schoolyards, on the ponds, backyards, shooting pucks or tennis balls against the basement walls, right. all of that stuff we, we all did when we were from our generation. Would you both agree or would you maybe not agree that the passion we as kids attained from doing those things during those times we don't see that today. Has that hurt the development of our kids of today? Well, if you want me, I, I will go first. And I, I think a lot of individuals have parents that have uh, today that love the game and have been around a little bit and, and kind of understand that era uh, and not force their kids, but actually, you know, try to help them in, in that respect, whether it's shooting pucks, you know, into a netting. We've had many a young kid come in and talk about doing all those 
of little things to help them be a better player. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that I think is because their parents, you know, remember what it was like maybe to, to live through the, the seventies when you could skate outside for months on end uh, or shoot pucks. Uh, uh, so in, a, in, in retrospect, yes, I would say it has hurt them because it's a little bit different, but I think there's other ways that they've been able to kind of uh, go around those tough situations. And especially kids today, that are from California or Texas, from Florida. They're all from, yeah. from everywhere. They can rollerblade. And that's what a lot of them started at, rollerblading. So they rollerblade instead. They rollerblade and then their parents shell out about 40 or 50 grand a year for them to play and travel all over the country. But you're right, guards. I mean, I think, like, I, I don't remember ever ha not having a rink in my backyard. However small it might have been, there was enough room for me to shoot. There was enough room to stick handle and do a few things. So I was on the ice all the time in the backyard, uh, you know, honing my skill or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my father made sure that we had one in, in every backyard. Right. I, I don't see that a whole lot today. And, and I think probably unless you're one of those kids that can afford it, especially in, like you said, California, Florida, places like that, Texas, Mm -hmm. uh, you're not getting the ability to go out and do those types of things unless your parents can afford it. And believe me, it's not cheap for those kids in, in those areas to play at a high level of hockey. It's very, very expensive. Well, where I was going with all of that was we, you know, we, we thought about all of this was, you know, our thought would be to get home from school, get outside to play in the street, wherever it was, include everybody on the street, mm -hmm. the frozen toes or the pins and needles, uh, you know, that passion for developing for the game of hockey is just getting instilled with you every day of your life. And this is what you look forward to. But today it's private shooting coach, goalie instructor, off ice training. You know, you get video replays and all this kind of stuff. And remember, in our era, we go back and think about it, trying to stick your real way to develop yourself as your skills. Try stick handing around 12 guys in the other team with a tennis ball with the wind and the snow blowing in your face. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's, I mean, I think I'll be, yeah. so, I mean. Can, can, I add, can I add something right there, Mike? You know, yeah, I went, absolutely. I went to George Peck, uh, which you know of, right? Uh, yeah. Warden and Lawrence, and uh, uh, I lived eight houses from my schoolyard. I could yes. skate on my sidewalk, and they had three rinks. They had a rink with hockey boards. They had a rink with smaller boards, pleasure skating, yeah. and the basketball court was for little kids. Uh, so three rinks, and the parents, uh, every night, there was, it, it would change, but there was a little hut. And if you got the key for that week and your dad was the guy shoveling and, and flooding the ice, you had the heat in that hut and you were the star. <laughs> so, I and mean, that's what would happen. The lights didn't that. go off till 11 o'clock. So I'd be up there, if, unless we were practicing or playing, but I'd be up there till 11 every night doing that. And I've often said this, and Squid, you can you know, talk about this too in a sense, but I've always felt that I've had some great coaches, guys I've admired, and I still think they're the you know greatest coaches I've had. But I say to everybody, the best coach I ever had was myself. And they say, what are you talking about? I said, if you went to George Peck school and you were in grade three or four and you were playing against grade six and sevens, you had to force yourself. You had to That's be my whole point. If you wanted to play, you had to push yourself. Yeah. And that Absolutely. was coaching. Very cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more, guards. And, and you know, the big thing is, uh, like, I always played against kids that were four or five years older than me, roughly. And uh, whether it was outdoors on the rink or whether it was, you know, playing organized hockey. So, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, 
I taught myself how to play the game. I taught myself how to shoot. I taught myself all the things that, that I needed to play in the National Hockey League. And it started at a very young age. And uh, so, I, yeah, I, I would agree. I would, I would have to say that probably I was my, my own best coach, probably. And trust me, I didn't have that many good coaches either. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, guards, where I want to go with you is, you know, when you weren't playing at George Peck or in our basement or in the backyard somewhere up at the old IBM golf course on the pond or somewhere like that, yeah. uh, you were playing some pretty high-level hockey for minor league. And talk about your era growing up that right up to the Seneca Nats, and you know where we're going to go with that team. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's – it's funny, the, I had two neighbors on both sides of my house that played for Wexford, played at Tamashanner, and on a Saturday, as you well know, it was the house league day, and yep. you went from morning till night, and all those levels played, and I would go with them to watch uh, because I wasn't old enough. And my dad eventually, when I was like five, said, you know, are you interested in playing? And I said, I don't know, and I'll never forget the first time I said yes, and we went, signed up. First practice, I had skates on, and obviously back then they weren't very good. They might have been, might have been double runners, in fact. I don't even remember. But I got blisters bad, and I said to my dad, I don't ever want to play again, uh, and I'll never forget that. And he said, okay. That's all he said. And the next week came around, and he said, do you want to go back? And I said, yeah, I do. So that was that was unique. But that yeah, those, those first couple of years, I was playing house league and understanding the game, but – I wouldn't. Have, I guarantee I would not have played or gone unless those neighbors played for Wexford, uh, and they were older than myself. So I went just to watch them. Uh, and you know, it's funny. I I don't know why some guys are better than others. I just you know you you, you think back, and I I I started. I was younger than everybody in my first few years. I think my first four years I played. I was a year younger than everybody just because I wanted to play and. Again, that forces you to be better, and it pushes you. And uh, I was very fortunate those first couple of years playing for Wexford, and I think it was uh, – I don't even know what they called it back then. Um, I think it was double A or maybe A. But, uh, you know, you just – you move on, and uh, some other teams, you look at uh, who you're playing against, and some other teams look a little bit better, and they look a little bit more organized. And, you know, their coach comes and talks to you, and you want to play and, you know, move on to a different team. And that, that's kind of what happened. And – I was very lucky. I mean, I played in the Toronto Red Wings after Wexford, and uh, then I went to the Nats um, right after that, two years after that. So uh, just some great teams, and I had a lot of fun. But it's funny looking back, Rick, and you know this too, and, and Mike, obviously, uh, you just you never think about anything but playing in the National Hockey League back then. Everyone says, well, you know, what would you have done if you were in a yeah. hockey league? You know what? I don't know. That's all I said. I was going to be a hockey player. In fact, my dentist, every time I go every six months, he'd say, you need braces. I said, I'm going to be a hockey player. I won't have any teeth. <laughs> That's a truth. <laughs> One of the things, Garage, I don't know. I, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, but I think when you talk about how players get better than other players, I mean, obviously, aside from skill and, and whatever, mm -hmm. I, I, like, I honestly believe that you're born with that innate ability to read the game or the ability to slow things down. Like when you look at Wayne Gretzky, sure. like Wayne Gretzky, I mean, it, I don't think he learned the game the way he played it on a pond anywhere. I, I think he just had that innate ability to slow the game down and to play it at his pace 
and he he had a great sense for where everybody was on the ice and could read the play before it even happened. And I, I believe you're born with that. And then, of course, you know, you work on all the other things to get better at, at different things. But I, I honestly believe you're born with that that ability. I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, and uh, I mean, guards being a little bit modest. I mean, I think he's actually responsible for the way they change things in this Metro League in, in a direct way where one year they picked all the elite players of Toronto, put them on a team. I think you were called the Patch Nats. They were. And you guys had – you probably could have beat a junior team. And you guys were like 13. You guys were winning tournaments a year above. I think you won the Wrigley. You guys were – and then you went on to play for Seneca Nats, the junior B team, and – I'd like you to talk a little bit about that club and especially running across the guy you were just talking about, the little skinny kid sure. from Brantford. <laughs> well, let me go back to that, that minor band here. That yeah, was, absolutely. Sam McMaster uh, was the general manager, obviously, of uh, the Los Angeles Kings with Wayne. There was a lot of controversy there uh, with him trading him and moving on, but there was pressure for Jerry, but, you know, there was a lot going on there for Sam. And Sam was, uh, I think – and I, you know, obviously we all know a lot of hockey people, but he, I think, was a mastermind. Yeah. Uh, and he was with the Toronto Red Wings. He was actually the guy when I was Adam came up to me and said, you know, would you ever think about moving from Wexford and, and coming on with us? And you know, I told my dad, and my dad thought, well, are you kidding? What do you? But that's what ended up happening. I said, yeah, I want to go, and I, I did. Uh, and after our peewee year, and that peewee year was a shame because the Quebec uh, tournament. We weren't able to go because the playoffs ran into the Quebec tournament, so the the elite level of Pee Wee were not allowed to go to that Quebec tournament. So that was one of the worst things that ever happened, I think, in my hockey career. But uh, as we move on, Sam said to me, he said, I'm going to put together the best team I possibly can. And he brought Tom McCarthy and Stuart Smith from Mississauga, and he brought about two guys from every little team that was in that, that league. And we got together, and that first year at Minor Bantam, we never lost a game. We played 72 games. We tied two. We had 505 goals for and 72 against. So it was a phenomenal year. Um, yeah, we went to Camelks, played in the uh, Camelks International Bantam Tournament as minor Bantams and won that. We won the final like 10-3. It was ridiculous. So the next year we moved up to Bantams, same team, exact same team, and we actually lost two games. But we won every, you know, we won all Ontarios and did the whole thing. And then, you know, midget's a different year. Midget with the minor midget, uh, you know, two years kind of span changed a lot. Uh, Tommy McCarthy was an excellent player, as you well know, and yeah. was drafted in the first round in 79, like a lot of the great players of NHL. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, he went on and played for North York, which was a really elite uh, tier two team. Uh, and we, the majority of us, moved to the Seneca Nats. And I wanted to move to Tier 2, but Sam said to me, you're going to play a lot here, you're going to be recognized here, and I'll get you a job with the owner at Canadian Tire for the summer. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I made $2.10 an hour pushing a broom at Canadian Tire. <laughs> and you're a defenseman then. It's funny you were talking about all those years because it reminds me of the, the four years I spent watching my son play with the Marlies. Uh -huh. And they had Tavares, they had Gagne, they had, I mean, they had an incredible team. Right. And I think in four years, I well, the three years Johnny played with them, I think they lost one game in three years. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were just unbelievable. And, 
they won the Ontario Minor Midget, the OHL Cup. They won, well, they won everything. I mean, it was just, it was so much fun to watch, go and sit there and watch these young kids perform at that level and, you know, watch how good they played together as a team and, and, and won so many games. It was just, for me, it was a real treat to, to watch. Sure. Well, guards, I want you to go a little bit of that junior B team. Now, just to give people an idea, Billy ended up as a center in the National Hockey League, but at this period of his career, he was a defenseman. And just to give you an idea of this club, he played 68 games that year and had 30 goals and 72 assists. <laughs> so take it from there and just talk about As a about defenseman? As a defenseman. As and, a defenseman? Yes. As a defenseman. And there was that kid we want to talk about. What was your, the impression of him the first time you saw him? Well, I'm going to take one step back because I want to talk about Tommy McCarthy, who was an elite player, too. He yeah, he sure was. Yeah, he was good. In our yeah. last game, we were in the Ontario Finals, and I had I was a, and I was a defenseman. Uh, I had 39 goals, and we were beating a team from Sudbury or Sioux uh, in the series, and it was going to be over. It was like 7-2. So there's about five minutes left in the game. I have 39 goals as a defenseman that year. And I said to Tommy, Tommy, I got 39 goals. He goes, follow me. I followed him on our next shift. He digged everybody and passed me the puck for an empty net for my 40th. That's how good he was, too. And then Wayne, you know, the next year we're playing Junior B, and you know, everybody knew Wayne because Wayne came the year before, and Gus Bedali, who was all our kind of agents back then as young guys, and uh, Gus housed him, and they brought him in from uh, Bramley and or Brantford, and uh, – uh, he had him play in that junior B team as a, like, gosh, I think he was just 14 then. And he was unbelievable then. And I went up a few times. I played midgets, and I went up a few times and played with them and just watched them. But the thing that people maybe don't realize or, or maybe they didn't even see, he wasn't a very good skater back then. I mean, he was a very awkward, lumbering kind of uh, guy. But his sense, as you, you know, you've already alluded to, is, uh, was unbelievable. And his hands were amazing. But he got better as time went on, and he knew that's something that he had to do. Uh, and he, he became such a, a – not a great skater, but a, he could get from A to B easy, easily. Uh, and, and that made him, I think, the elite guy that he was. But uh, going back to that year, here's a funny point again, and this is not to knock him at all, but Paul Coffey didn't make our team. We only had four defensemen. Darrell Evans made our team as a defenseman. Now, remember, Darrell was in L.A. and yeah. – so that's, I mean, it was kind of funny that, uh, you know, when you look at coffee in his career, gosh, uh, but Wayne uh, <laughs> was phenomenal. Uh, I mean, we were 15 playing against 19 and 20 year olds. They would try to beat the crap out of us every night. And, you know, I wasn't much of a fighter. In fact, I didn't like it at all, but I, I had to jump in a couple of times just because guys were getting killed and, Back then, you could fight forever. I mean, it didn't matter. You could fight three or four times easily in a game, and, and you didn't get thrown out. So uh, we got our asses handed to us a few times, but we didn't lose a lot. We ended up winning uh, the Metro Junior B, and uh, we lost the Ontario Finals to Stratford, who were you know guys who were all 20 years of age. And our goalie, whose name was John Seide. So we're 15 and 16. John Seide was 21, married, and had a baby. <laughs> yeah, crazy, huh? Well, I got one story oh, to add God. to your skating there, guards. Is the uh, I know when you played with Peterborough, and we'll get into that in a minute. My dad used to go to a lot of games with your dad and watch, and he was talking to Walter Gretzky one time throughout the year. 
and Wayne was playing, of course, up north, playing for the Sioux. And he made a comment that he was thinking of actually going to Sweden the next year of his junior career to work on his skating, to play in the big rink. And then Nelson Scalbania came along and put a squash that was rejected put in front of him. But to your point about the skating, they were a little bit concerned with that, about uh, not about his scoring ability, but a little bit about his skating at that time. Yeah, he was really choppy, uh, not very fluid. Uh, you know, everyone talked about his size, but I thought maybe that would be the drawback, uh, if anything was. I mean, he was relentless. He didn't, it didn't matter the traffic. He was in it all the time. But uh, uh, he just – I think, and I don't know this for a fact, but I think I read that he took some lessons, skating lessons from a figure skater or a speed skater. There was someone in Canada that was uh, kind of tutoring him and making him a, a better better skater, uh, and it certainly helped uh, him. But I, I, I have to – I think you know this too, but I have it upstairs. I should have brought it. But uh, Wayne, uh, his last game at the United Center. It's a good story. Uh, yeah, should I tell the story now? It's a good. I know. Tell it. Tell it. Okay. At the United Center, I think he had four games left, and every team was doing something for Wayne Gretzky, and there was hundreds of people in the morning skate, and I, w I was doing the color back then from the Hawks. So um, I, I, I said, you know, there's so many guys around. I said. Gosh, I'm not sure if I'm going to get to see him. So somebody came up from their dressing room that I knew and said, Wayne's already at the bus. He wants you to go out there. So I had a stick. And this is another story. My last ever NHL game, and you squid, you might have been there, was in 1989 in February. We're playing the Los Angeles Kings. He had a hat trick. I think the score was 6-3 for L.A. I have a face-off against him with a five minutes remaining. I said, Wayne, can I have your stick? Keenan's coaching. Amen. <laughs> you know, we lose six to three. We're heading off. Wayne comes skating down the ice with his stick like he's going to pass the baton. Go, oh, my God, it's Keenan's. What? Oh, it was the last game I ever played. <laughs> <laughs> so I had that stick with me because he hadn't signed it. He just gave it to me right out of his hands. So I took it that year, and it was 10 years later, 99 from 89. And uh, he signed it and everything. But the bus driver – said to me and Wayne, he said to Wayne, can I get a picture? So Wayne comes out and, and he has this camera and he says, Bill, you get in there too. So I stand in there and get a great picture. I got a stick and everything and uh, that was it. So of course, before the game, you're sitting uh, with all the other reporters, et cetera, having your meal before uh, you know action starts. And the bus driver comes in with a Manila envelope and he slides me over. And I said, what's this? He goes, it's a picture of you and Wayne. I go, Seriously, thank you very much. He goes, open it, open it up. And, Best is he always right. Best friends always Wayne Gretzky. I said that's cool. Thank you, you know, very much. Very kind of you. And he says, turn it over. So I turn it over, and the whole thing is written by Wayne. And he said something along the lines of, "I tell my friends and family you were the best junior hockey player I ever played with." I went, "Holy shit!" <laughs> so I that, I've used that many times doing hot games, you know, back then or whatever. Pat Foley, my partner. What happened? <laughs> I still have it. I have it in a, a double-sided frame, and uh, it's in my bedroom, actually. So pretty cool to have. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. And uh, you know, Wayne was always a pretty, pretty good guy for doing that type of stuff too. And uh, well, I remember it's funny because, well, first of all, I wasn't there when that game happened because Mike Keenan had already shipped me out. Oh, um, yeah, that was it. And, and it just happened to be the day after Christmas, which was, you know, pretty brutal. But anyway, 
but I remember Wayne, um, you know, way back, and and you know, he wasn't. I don't think he was ever a great skater, but he just had that ability. It was unbelievable. I mean, he did get better as his career went on. I think he worked on his skating. I think he knew that that's what he had to work on. Um, but the thing I loved about Wayne, and I go back to the World Juniors in the year 78, two years right. prior to my draft. Right. And Wayne wasn't even at the summer camp. Yeah. And he wasn't invited to the main camp before the World Juniors started. Sure. And then Billy Durlego blew out his knee about a week before. Wow. Well, guess who they brought in? This young 16-year-old kid. And he tore the tournament apart. He was a leading scorer and uh, uh, won the MVP of the tournament and everything else. So that just shows you right there. At, a, at 16 years old, he came in, and we're playing against the Russians who have Makarov and Kukov, all the Fedosov. And he's dangling around them, making them look silly. And I'm like, holy cow, this is pretty impressive. <laughs> And by the way, the guy who replaced just for the record, folks, is a footnote. Billy D that year had 89 goals and 63 assists in 52 in 52 games. Yeah. So yeah. pretty good company to replace some big shoes to fill. Now, guys, I want you to go get into Peterborough here. You played for two young coaches, Gary Green and Mike Keenan. Keenan his first year, actually. Uh, that's there's that name again. Squid. It comes oh, up every uh, bloody show. Keenan somehow it comes up always. Is, is not that always. They, is that, is, is that what they cheated, Mike? Yeah, exactly. It's a Mike Keenan again. Now, listen, here you are. You've been a dominant player all the way up. You get to this next level. How did you adapt and work with those two guys? Gary Green was, if, if you recall, because he ended up being the youngest coach, I think, ever in the That's National right. the Washington Capitals. So he was about 24, maybe, when he started as the head coach. And Wow. As I mean, we you go in there as a 16 year old, and you're looking, you don't see it that way. Maybe if you'd been there in your last year, it might have been a different story. But Gary was a soft spoken, easy kind of going guy, and you know, he got a little tutelage under Roger Nielsen, and uh, I think that's how he started. And he was the type of guy, I think he ran Can Am hockey school forever, and I, I, I he just was a smart individual, and uh. You know that those those two years were phenomenal. In fact, you know you mentioned I went the three years. The two we lost, I thought we should have won, and the one we won, I thought we would have lost. I mean, we, we were able to beat Prop, Allison, McCrimmon. I mean, uh, Boschman. Uh, we beat them in overtime to win, uh, and, and we outshot them like fifty-one to twenty. But um, that was Billy. One the one you won was that Billy. The one you won was that in Verdun. Yes, it was yes. supposed to be in Montreal Forum, but the Boston Bruins and the Montreal Canadiens. Went to a game seven and kicked us out. <laughs> okay, I, I was at that game. So was I. Because Keith, because Keith Keith Crowder was my roommate in yes. Birmingham. Sure, the Bulls. And yeah. then he went back to Peterborough in November because he wasn't playing. Right. And on my way back from Birmingham, I stopped in Verdun for a few days cool. to see him and watch you guys win the Memorial Cup. That's that neat. was pretty cool. I got yeah. home from Sweden yeah. the week before from playing, and I drove down and watched you play. And yeah, yeah. You got the assist on the winning goal, but Bobby Atwell, right, scored it? He did. Yes, he did. Bobby, yeah. I remember that. So now I want to get into – the. you know what I'm the story we're going to go with the Memorial Cup. It's been called everything the craziest Memorial Cup of all time to an embarrassment to the game. Just oozing with controversy everywhere. You guys were associated with it. Mike Keenan, of course, is involved. Sure. 
this is that this is the Memorial Cup that you guys were accused of throwing a game. Maybe walk the listeners through that whole story. <laughs> it's a beauty. Well, uh, aside from the chicken landing on my head in that one game, uh, I mean, it was it was a disaster after uh, you know going to the final and obviously uh, uh, the home team because of what took place didn't get to play in the final and Cornwall was the team that really I mean they ended up winning the Memorial Cup but they probably were the least favorite out of everybody even in the finals I think in Montreal they came back three times to win the Quebec Junior League and uh, weren't expected to you know get out of there so uh, we won the first three games so we were automatically in and that's why they changed it to four teams because that can happen you know we won the first three games and the fourth game it that didn't matter. We were going to be in the final. And, uh, you know, the, I think we were, I think everyone, I can't remember the scores, but we were up after the first period. And, um, you know, I, I honestly had a, a skate issue. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's what it was about. We, just, uh, we didn't play our first goalie um, in that game. And, like, Larry Murphy, who is a Hall of Famer and, and junior, he was such a stud too. I mean, the, we didn't play a lot. They just, you know, we and they played – the Peter O'Pizza in my three years played four lines all the time. The only time you get extra ice is penalty killing and, and power play. Uh, and, and everybody played. And that game, the kind of last year guys, Mark Reeds, you know, got the rest of his soul and such a great junior player and a good NHL or two was my right winger. And we just didn't play a lot because there was no – it didn't matter. I mean, we, you know the schedule. We had yeah. won – we lost our first two games to the Sudbury Wolves, and we never lost a game again to that game, game four of the Memorial Cup. We won every game through that streak. It was phenomenal. So it's a lot of hockey and, you know, a lot of stress. So, you know, Mike, uh, you know, he just thought it was better to don't, don't play the first string goalie and let the other guys uh, rest a little bit. There's no need to push and so on and so forth. And they scored – on a five on three, and they scored again on that same five on four, I think to tie the game, and then they beat us by one uh, in the third period. So, you know, you can, there's a lot of ways to look at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but as a coach, I don't see anything wrong with what he did. I mean, you see it in every sport now, there's Absolutely. games that don't mean anything, and they don't play as much. So, but yeah. it was. Well, I got a couple, I got a couple of guys who probably argue with you on that, and that's Danny Dau, and unfortunately, uh, uh, God rest his soul, Dale Howardchuk, because sure. they both claim that you guys threw the game so that you would play them instead of the Western team, and then they came back and won the final game to win the Memorial Cup. I'm not sure that's how it went. I, I agree with you. I mean, if I was coaching that team, which I, I mean, I coached for seven or nine years or whatever it was, if I was in that situation, I probably would have done the exact same thing as Mike did. Right. You know, I would have given guys some rest and yeah. said, let's get ready for the big one. Right. You but know, didn't so. even your own hometown reporter write a scathing article about you guys? And oh, yeah. No, yeah, you, I mean, Mike Brophy and uh, Mike's legendary. I, I really like Mike. And he did. He wrote, he thought, you know, that should not have happened. And he felt we, you know, did that on purpose and threw it and so on and so forth. And, you know, Rick, we had uh, – Danny Dao and uh, we did a, a we did a thing a while ago year, about a year and two months ago already right. and that was one of the first zooms we ever did but Danny came on and so did uh, Jock Callender who played for Regina and, and Tom Fergus yeah and Tommy Fergus but Danny didn't I mean maybe he was holding back but he didn't think so much then when he was saying uh, uh, that we blew it and 
Uh, I know uh, Jock, and I see Jock a lot because he's in Cleveland, uh, and he's, he said the same thing. He said, you know, I wouldn't have done anything different. And it's not like he went out there and just stopped playing and things happen. And, I mean, you can, you can write so many different scenarios with that situation. But, uh, I mean, I wish, I wish it hadn't happened that way now. I mean, obviously you would love to have won that game and, you know, you want to beat the best and, uh, we end up losing again to them. So in overtime, so it was kind of crazy, but it's funny that game we lost in overtime. And this goes back to what I was talking about. They, our fourth line in overtime was on the ice when they scored. How about that? Memorial <laughs> Cup final. Wow, wow. that was a Peterborough piece. They played. But at least you can look back and you can say we changed the way the Memorial Cup was played for, <laughs> yeah. for ever after that. There was going to be four teams. There's going to be a host team, and we were part of that. <laughs> and by the way, Danny Dew, he ain't giving his ring back. <laughs> no matter what you say. So it ain't going back regardless of what anybody thinks. So guards, talk about you get drafted, you show up at the Cox camp. Walk us through that whole period about getting drafted and going to your first camp with the big boys. Well, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, Mike, you may remember this, but I my room in Toronto, in Scarborough, was laden with Blackhawk paraphernalia. <laughs> Head to toe. Every picture. Remember the SO cards and yeah. – and all those things at gas stations, and it was all Blackhawk stuff. Uh, in those days, as Rick, you'll remember, the, the draft wasn't something you went to. I mean, you got a call and said you were drafted. And, uh, it was in, I think it was in Montreal, the draft. And I got a call from Jack Davidson, who was the assistant general manager. And I wasn't, it was only six rounds, as you know, there was only 130 guys picked, I believe. And it was the first year of the underage, too. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> But it was the first year of the underage, so there was a lot of guys available um, to be picked. So uh, I get a call, and it's fairly early, and I'm thinking, gosh, who is this? And it's Jack Davis. It just, it just, we drafted you 49th overall, Chicago Blackhawks. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, i got to go to Chicago. <laughs> I went, oh. You know, I, I thought, oh, gangsters, mobsters, what's going on? But I love the team. It's so funny uh, that that happened. And – Tim Tremper was drafted also that year, who was uh, with the Piero Pates and scored 63 goals, I think he did that year. Uh, we went a day early, our first camp, and we walked downtown. We walked everywhere. And the next day we go to camp, and the first day of skating, oh, my God, it was the worst decision I ever made. My legs were like lead. And that's all you did back then is skate. I mean, Pulley was running the show and down and back, no water, you know, two hours straight. <laughs> It was deadly. It was brutal. But there were twice a day. Twice stamp. a day. Twice a day. No, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Um, so there's you know Stamakita, Tony Esposito, and some great players, uh, which were it was terrific. Uh, a couple of guys the first day, Grant Mulvey, Ted Bully said, uh, "Come on, I'm going to take you to a nice restaurant tonight." So you know that, those kind of experiences are just uh, amazing, and that you always remember. Um, and you know, I went back to junior and, uh, you know, I was talking to a few of the older guys and he said, you know, how are you really as a player? And so I said, well, I'm more of a playmaker. Go back and score. They said, go back and get goals. That's what they're looking for. Goals. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, not easy to do either. It doesn't matter what league you're in, but uh, it was quite an experience. Uh, the, the old uh, stadium uh, it wasn't a very nice area. It was scary there back in those days. 
Well, let me let me set this next question up for you. We discuss this all the time on the show, guard. So, I mean, you were a star right from the start, right up, right up to your first camp you arrived at with the Hawks. So your hockey career, you didn't make it immediately, but all throughout your career, you'd always been an autom- an automatic, uh, you know, starter on every team. I mean, it can be a devastating emotion for a player when they finally run into a little adversity at the pro level. So here you are after one year, you go back to junior, you play well again. Your second camp, all of a sudden, you show up. They're already loaded with a lot of veteran centers. Then this kid by the name of Savar gets taken third overall. <laughs> if that's not enough, they also draft – they also a couple other guys in the fold with Troy Murray and Steve Ludzik also. And sure. so, I mean, what was your mindset going through all of that? Well, our captain was Terry Ruskowski, so he was a center man. Just, and Lysiak was still there. Yeah, Tommy was great. Tommy's Tommy, you know, a couple of good stories, but it was Tommy was the guy that actually said to me, "Go back and you know score as many goals as you can, get noticed." So uh, he was a center man, but he was uh, such a nice guy to me. And uh, again, another guy that's passed way too early. But um, uh, it, it, it was deceiving, or what? Well, not deceiving is the word. I went back and I came and I, I thought I had a chance that year just because I had a good junior year and I know they were watching. They had a, they had a scout uh, Chicago Blackhawks did that was at every Thursday night game and that was our home night. So, you know, I, I knew he was there and I, I thought I'd played my heart out and I thought I would do, you know, do a lot for myself. But I did get sent down. But the, the, the big thing that hurt me that first year was, I think it was about the sixth game in, I was with Moncton, New Brunswick, and we were in Adirondack and I got hit in the foot uh, with a puck and didn't think much of it. And the next day I woke up and my foot was a balloon and couldn't get a skate on. And you know, a week went by and all of a sudden it's still there. And they sent me to Chicago and I ended up having to have surgery. So I didn't come back till the end of January. So I actually missed you know a great amount of time. And you know I'm watching guys going up and down while I'm out and thinking, God, that could be. You know. But that happens, you know. And I, I did come back and had a good end and. I think I led the team maybe in the playoffs for a couple of rounds, and then the next year I was able to make it. But I think that injury did hurt. There was a little bit of a drawback. But, uh, again, you, you know, your mindset's just got to be smart enough to think, uh, you know, positively and go from there. Yeah, I mean, I think, Gard, you would, you'd have to agree that, like, I mean, obviously you get drafted. I mean, you go to your first camp or whatever that case might be. I mean, somewhere along the line, you do need to get a break. You know, something needs to happen where, you know, someone perhaps gets hurt and then you get called up and get a spot and then you play really well and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to keep this guy. You know, you got to get a break somewhere. Well, my best years, Rick, I ended up playing left wing because our left wingers, we had Secord, Sutter, and Fraser. They were always hurt. And they threw me in playing with Savard and Larmer. And, you know, it was my best year. I had 27 goals and – I only played with them for about 20 games, but it was just so cool to play with. So, you know, the players were, this is the elite. This is, these are two of the best in the league. Uh, and, and things kind of go your way then. You, you work hard you, and you do it as you're told. And, you know, you get those breaks. But Orville was our coach, Tessie, and he was not a big fan of me, mine. He, he, he had uh, the American Hockey League Championship the year before and had Luzik and Larms. And, you know, Larms is the right winner. But he wanted his guys to play ahead of me. And, Eventually, he had to put me in in that position. I'll never forget. At the end of the year, playoffs are starting, and the guys are coming back. He said, you know, I'm really sorry. I can't play you. Pulley told me i got to put those guys back in in those positions, and I, I understood that. But it was nice of him to say that because he never really talked to me. He actually <laughs> – here's a funny story. One game – this is before all the good stuff happened. 
one game, he had Cliff Coral, who was an assistant coach up in the uh, – I forget the name of it. It was in the box, the press box, but there was a name too for the press box. Um, and he had – Cliff came in in the intermission, and Orville says, give me that paper. He shows the paper, and it's got, you know, the goals on both ends, and it's got all these lines, squiggly lines around kind of on the perimeter. He goes, this is one of the guys on our team. Look at it. Look where he's never in a corner. He's never, it was me. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at him and said, the puck never went in the corner when he was on the ice. <laughs> That's how much he didn't like me. Yeah. Funny. Funny. It's, funny, it's funny you mentioned uh, those two guys because when I got traded to Chicago, I was lucky enough to play on a line with Larms. And I got to say, Larms and, and Savard, and I got to tell you, and Larms, of course, played. Did he play in Peterborough too? I think he played or, his first year and then was drafted by Niagara Falls and played the next. Oh, okay, that's right. Yeah, but anyway, I, I got to think he's probably one of the most underrated players ever in the National Hockey League. Should be in the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He's a point of game guy. I, I don't get why he's not there because he was so good in his own zone as well as the offensive zone. I mean, he was just a complete player. Yeah. Never did not get the puck out. He was so good on the ball. Oh, so good. So he, was, he was unbelievable. He uh, yeah. he should be in the Hall of Fame. There's not a doubt. I mean, he would have broke easily the record for most games consecutively. Yeah. Yeah. If he did, he held on himself because yeah. he had a fight with Daryl Sutter. Daryl told him, he says, I'm not going to play as much, and this is you're going to be more limited. And he says, I don't want to play here then. I, you know, and that's what he did, didn't, didn't play. He went, out, went to New York Rangers, won a Stanley Cup. And he won Rookie of the Year. I mean, he has the accolades to be in the Hall. And I think he would have been well over a 1,000 games. In fact, the New York Rangers, when he retired, New York Rangers said, we'll sign you a deal. You don't have to play on the road. You can, you can play just the home games. That's how much they loved him. Yeah, I didn't know that part. But I knew that he left. I think he still had a year or two left on his contract, I believe. Yeah. Uh, when, he, when he, you know, he won a Stanley Cup. But that, you know what? That's why his. That's why his name was Grandpa. That's right. Yeah. Well, we got to get we got to get Grandpa on uh, one of these days, Squid. But um, I mean, guards, I want you to talk about uh, guards. I'd like you to talk about some of those Chicago teams. Uh, we're down to about our final ten minutes here. Um, some of the Chicago teams, you guys had some really good clubs, but there was that kid from Brantford getting in your way a few times <laughs> along the way. It yeah. just to speak to all of that period for you guys. I really think. Uh, if they were able to, and there wasn't, I mean, you didn't have that many moves like you do today, uh, you know, at the deadline or uh, during the year to improve your club. And, you know, I, I'll say this, uh, you know, I'm a Chicago Wolves guy now. This will be my 20th year. And I would say I'm more of a Chicago Wolves guy than that picture there with the Blackhawks. Yeah. I'm never proud of, honestly, a lot of things that they did as a franchise. Uh, and I still, to this day, when you see what's going on, I don't believe in them that much, but, um, uh, they never really made a deal because they all they cared about was money. It was crazy. They didn't care about winning. They wanted to just get in the playoffs and have a couple of rounds and then go from there. And that team, with uh, some of the players they had, they easily could have competed a little bit better. The one year we lost in six games, and we beat them twice. Uh, the first year they killed us. They, and there was 11-2, and I don't know what it was. And, and uh, that's when uh, Orville Tesse said, uh, I'm going to take the team down to Minnesota and get heart transplants. Uh, so that yeah. <laughs> he got fired the next year, but uh, yeah, I, I, 
I mean, they were such a different team, I think, of that era, the way they played. Everybody wanted to emulate them because of the style they played, the free-flowing, fun. Uh, but it was hard because they, they were talented. And uh, to play against them, we had Roger Nielsen, and I love Roger. And Roger tried everything possible that he possibly could think of to combat what they would do. I mean, I even actually – this is a true story. One game in Edmonton in the playoffs, I started – Instead of old Chuck, I would play with Troy Murray and Kurt Fraser, and they said to me, as soon as the pucks drop, go to coffee and stay with coffee the whole time. That's the truth. In the playoffs, semifinals. <laughs> so a couple just go in, and I knew Koff very well. And Koff says, I know what you guys are doing. <laughs> I, can't I can't keep up with you. Please stay with me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but they were just – so much fun. Oh boy! Watch and play against. Yeah, they they were incredible. They were. Uh, I mean, it was hard to play against them because they were so quick. Yeah. They, uh, the ability to move the puck. I mean, they had. I mean, it was just unbelievable. You had Gretzky who had eyes in the back of his head, would spin around and just fire the puck over, and there's Curry with an open net. Like it yeah. was just. It was unbelievable, really. Well, they were really the first to come up with, and I, I believe this, you know, you, they'd be killing a penalty. They'd have Gretzky and Curry on the ice, and they're, they're trying to score. I mean, there was no killing yeah. penalties. It was give me the puck. It was so different. Uh, they just yeah. take a lot in the style of the game. Well, they now, nowadays, nowadays, you watch a game, and, and all the top players are killing penalties. Right, exactly. And all, for the most part, I yeah. mean, I don't think know, I mean, a lot lines. of teams. You really don't need four lines. No. Anymore, you know? With all the timeouts yeah. and everything that happens, you know, the, the what is it, 14 minutes, nine minutes, and five minutes, or whatever it is, they go to commercials, everybody's well-rested. There's no need. Well, yeah, they, they, I, we I had, agree. Uh, we had Ricky Tockett on last week, and Talk was telling us that, uh, you know, even one of the things he pointed was they were one of the first teams also to have the defenseman join the rush with coffee, with skating like he did, sure. and no other team was doing that. Yeah. And, he just told us a story about playing the Canada Cup with Gretzky, and he was playing with Gretzky right up the bat. Right. He kept dumping the puck, and Wayne said to him one time, don't give it away. Wait for me or look for Paul. He'll be right behind us. Sure. And he never heard of that before. And yeah. Yeah, that, was, that sort of revolutionized the whole game, and look yeah. at today the way they play. You know, Rick Tockett, Jackie Page was uh, – you remember Pages? Jackie Page yeah. was the baseball team, and Rick played. And Rick was just drafted to Sault Ste. Marie, and I used to go watch them play up at uh, – was it, what's the high school over there in the diamond? They had the outdoor rink for a while. McGregor. McGregor. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, yeah. Winston McGregor. Jackie comes up to me one day and he goes, this is uh, Ricky Tockett. He said, uh, will you sit down and talk to him about hockey? He just got drafted by Sue Sermaine. You know, can you help him out a little bit? And I sit down with Rick, you know, and I kind of knew him just from watching him playing baseball. And, you know, he's asking questions so on and so forth. So uh, after, you know, 15 years go by and I see Rick and go, yeah, I really, I really helped you, right? <laughs> 250 minutes, 50 goals later. Uh, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> hey, so, guys, talk to us about how you got in the media. Um, that's a great story. Can I just, I just want kind of, the one thing. Yeah, tell us. The, the one thing I want, you know, we collect cards as kids. We do all that. I love getting my first hockey card. But the yeah. one thing that I wanted more than anything in my life was to hear my name shouted out by Pat Morris at Maple Paul, Leaf Gardens. Paul Morris. Paul Morris, pardon me, uh, by Paul Morris at Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, it was just something that I, you know, you hear all those, your Dave, <laughs> uh, Daryl Sittler. I wanted to hear my name. And 
When that first happened, that made my day. I thought, hey, I made it. That is so cool. I love this voice. <laughs> uh, but anyway. Um, well, Chicago Gold by Bill oh, yeah. Gardner. Harvey, Harvey was good. <laughs> But the media part, uh, as you mentioned, I was in Hartford and I wasn't dressing and they asked me to come on as a second guy and they were playing Quebec Nordiques and uh, Jimmy Mann was playing and the first like couple of shifts, he wants to fight, you know, and I said something about, he's worse than a dog on a leash and everybody loved it. They go, wow, that guy's funny and he's good. So kind of went from there, but I wasn't thinking about it too much. And, you know, my last four years, I went over and played in Europe and had a blast and I came back went to Florida and I got a call from Pat Foley, who was the play-by-play, who still is the play-by-play man for the Blackhawks. He said, they're looking to have a, a pregame show. You know, are you interested in maybe uh, they want a former player? And I said, yeah, sure. He goes, well, you got to come back right away. And I go, so do I get paid or anything? He's no, you got to come back. And I, God, I got to pay $300 and fly back. <laughs> yeah, I did, I did. And that's how I got my foot in the door. And uh, uh, it just kind of led uh, from there. I applied in Hartford when they uh, lost Daryl Ray. Daryl went to uh, Dallas, and I played in Hartford. So I got a little bit of an in there and had those games under my belt with Rick Peckham um, in in Hartford. So uh, I got that job and then moved to Carolina. So, uh, you know, and I came back with the Hawks, and I can tell you all the bullshit that happened with them. Yeah. Uh, I've been with the Wolves for 20 years. I'll tell you what, our owner here is a real owner. He's spectacular, and I, I can't th- thank him enough for what he has done for my family and myself. Uh, just a class guy. Well, I know one I know one other individual that feels the same way, my buddy John Anderson, who coached there for many years. And yeah. you were probably doing the, the media there when he was there. No, absolutely. absolutely. No, for sure. Uh, many of the years. Yeah. Uh, with Johnny, Johnny's a great. He still he still lives in Chicago. He does. He doesn't live far from Chicago. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, so uh, guard. So like we did, we got a couple minutes left here. So some of the funnier things that happened throughout the league, we always like to get to. And uh, who are some of the funnier guys you played with? And maybe we get into some of the pranks over the years. Uh, we've had some beauties. I, I don't think anybody will beat Jr.'s fake death one, but there's been oh, yeah. some pretty good ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's funny. There's so many you can think about and talk about. I'll tell you a little story. When I was with Hartford and I came back uh, to Chicago in that 88-89 and Squid uh, was there, I was with him. I'm not sure if he remembers, but the Bears won the Super Bowl. The next year, they played the New York Giants, who had just won the Super Bowl after them. First Monday night game. And I'm th- we're yeah. going to camp, and I'm thinking, you know, I hear I got a shot. It's key. You know, I, I worked out, and we go to the first Monday night game in a limo and stuff, and I was polluted. Next <laughs> one skate, and I felt like I was in some other land. It was the stupidest thing I ever did. But that's those days. <laughs> yeah, well, that was back in those days. And oh, my God. The funny thing was we're getting all this beer and walking up and down the aisle, and, and we're sitting in two rows. There's I don't know how many of us yeah. there. And then all of a sudden we look over, and there's Wurtz and Pulley sitting there. <laughs> Nobody realized they were there. And then yeah. and we're bringing all these beers down there. <laughs> But one of the funniest guys, going back to just funny guys, yeah. Paul, Paul Wallace uh, played in Hartford for a number of years. Yeah, his name comes uh, yeah. up. Just stuff. He, he, is he a Scarborough guy too? He's a Scarborough guy, absolutely. He, yeah. he, um, he just always, just always made me laugh. He's just a funny guy all the time. And I think, you know, I say the story about Kevin Donina myself. 
Tell that one. So we're, we're uh, we couldn't skate in Hartford at the rink at the mall when we couldn't get on the ice. We'd have to go to some other town, but we'd all have to you know go downstairs where they parked and get dressed. And back in those days, if you remember, they never took a bus. They you had to drive your own vehicle. That was the same even here in Chicago. So mm-hmm. it was one it was one way around the mall. So we'd always try to whether it was going or coming back, he always raced. So everyone's trying to get up the ramp, you know, to get to the street. And Deneen's beside me. I have a brand new S10 Blazer in 1986. I turn to get on the street, and here's Kevin Deneen. He turns and he boots it instead of putting the brake on. He goes right into the side of my car. Brand new car. <laughs> <laughs> so we all, you know, all the cars stop, and we all get out. And this is the Hartford Whalers in uniform on the street, helmets on, <laughs> no. yeah, police cop and everything, and. We, uh, Kevin had a friend there that uh, did body work, so he did it all. But, uh, God, it was so stupid. But funny. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, those are, the, those are the things. Now, who paid for that? You, I guess, right? No, you know, the guy, that, it was a season ticket holder, just a great friend of, of the guys, but mainly to Kevin. So the guy did it all for nothing. So Kevin got off pretty nicely. So while we're talking yeah, about did. Who was who were some now we got the funniest guys. Now what who were some of the more serious guys you played? Actually, let's put it this way. A guy you would look at, you you could look to as admire the way he carried himself on the ice, off the ice. You know the game is very stressful. The term today is being a good pro. Sure. A couple guys like that you play with that uh well no, besides squid. Not squid. <laughs> Stumpy. No, no, Stumpy. Uh, honestly, probably the, the one that sticks out more than anybody would be Keith Brown. Keith, uh, yeah, was a very mm-hmm. dedicated, hardworking on ice, off ice guy. And he didn't start off that way. He was a little skinny guy when he got drafted out of Portland. Um, but he worked his butt off, you know, to, to be a bigger, stronger guy and a league guy. And he was such a team oriented guy. He, he had positive things to say to everybody. He, he was, uh, he was a leader, without a doubt. But two other guys would be – and it's funny because they're two tough guys, but Al Secord, you know, he practiced the same way he played. It was scary in drills because he, he would go right through you if he had you in practice. And uh, Kurt Fraser too. But Kurt was a softer guy in practice, but just a dedicated, tough individual that could fight. Oh, he had paws on him the size of elephants. It was crazy. Good guys, though. Yeah, they were – they were pretty damn big. I remember in Vancouver when I was with him there, uh, just couldn't believe, first of all, how tough he was, sure. but how big he was and how big his hands were. And I thought, okay, I don't think I ever want to fight him if I have to play against him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's not the guy to do that. Al's from, what, Espanola, I think, up around Sudbury. And, you know, he lives in Dallas. He's been a American Airlines pilot for 20 Yeah. 23 or 24 years now. I mean, what a great story that is, too. And by guards, yeah. we're just down about our last minute here. But actually, one story I want to get to for our Leaf fans listening out there. You came in Maple Leaf at the draft. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, Sam McMaster, again, was with the Maple Leafs. And uh, you know the story. I'm, I'm trying to think. Was it Normie Aubin? Normie Aubin. Norm yes. Yeah. Um, it's funny because Sam told me the story. When Sam retired about two years ago before COVID in the December, he came into town and uh, we had dinner and we rehashed all this. When I found out this story, he said, uh, I wanted you to be a Leaf. They didn't have a first rounder. I think that 
Was that the way? No. Yeah, I think the album was the first one, and yeah. you were gonna. He was gonna take you. Was he a first or was he a second? No, second, like fifty third yeah. or something. Right. Yeah. So Sam wanted them to take me, and um, I think it was Punch or someone back then said something about, "No, we're taking this guy." You look at his, you know, his production, so so forth, and you're gonna go watch him play and you know, all this stuff, and make sure he's good enough and all that stuff. And Sam said he couldn't even skate. He was a goal scorer, but he couldn't skate. So I knew he wouldn't be able to go. He said, "I wanted to pick you and pick you." And I, geez, I didn't no idea about that. And that's funny you mentioned that. I mean, that's one of the stories, but. After the fact, you know, years go by and you meet all these scouts and stuff and you hear all the stories and Stuart, you're a great player. Everybody wanted you, but I was a guy, you know, I was average guy. And it was amazing after a couple of good years where I kind of filled in all these teams, Bob Tyndall in Boston, he said, oh, we tried to get you. Pulley would never let you go. I said, he never paid me either. <laughs> all these teams, you know, you hear, we love the way you played because yeah. of what you were able to do. And we, we tried to get you. Here I was stuck in Chicago. <laughs> you read about one thing. Pulley was a cheap for Oh my god. <laughs> Crazy. He loves well, golf balls out of bags too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guards, I can tell you that uh, it's been a pleasure. Great seeing you, man. I haven't seen you for a while. Uh, hopefully the day when we will get together in person will be a little sooner than it has been. And uh, Squid, any final thoughts for our guest before he goes? No, just uh, great to see him again. Uh, it's been a while. Why? It's been a long time. And, uh, yes. you know, take care of yourself. And uh, good luck with uh, the TV part. I, yeah. I think that's great. Thank you. I, I, I would just like a few more years, and that's about it. I think, uh, uh, seriously, I, you know, I, I think you have to appreciate what you have still and have the ability to do things. And, you know, again, I, I, I want a little shout-out to Mark Curtin as a former Leaf, and you yes. guys very well. And I love Mark, and we talk yeah. quite a bit. And, you know, you, you look at his situation, and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, you got to enjoy life while you can. So um, mm -hmm. you can't take it to your grave, Correct. Well, listen, and you got, no. we had Mark on the show, and if everybody had the attitude that Mark Curtin oh. has, the, the world would be a better place. That, Trust yeah, me. Exactly. Exactly. What, a, what a guy. Yes. Well, guards, what thanks again. Saying, they, 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 you, you can't put, a, oh. you can't put a, a car thing or whatever on top of your, your, uh, your uh, what do you call it, casket. No, uh, yeah. In other words, yeah. you can't. Like, you know, when you put on your car with everything in it, yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. put that on your casket. Do it while you can. Or stuff all the money around you. So either way. <laughs> okay, guards. Yeah. Great seeing you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, you guys. Okay. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Thanks guards.